0: Live from from Growth Point, Michigan, Michigan. it's it's time time for the the number one radio show in the private private service service industry, industry, where where private private service professionals can discuss topics topics that pertain to their industry. industry. And And now, here here is your host, DEMA DEMA National National President, Matthew Hack. Hello and welcome back to DEMA Live. DEMA Live is a radio call-in show for the private service industry. The purpose of our show is to bring private service professionals, vendors, principals, and agencies together to discuss topics of interest to the high-net-worth service industry. If you can't catch our show live at noon on Wednesdays, Eastern Standard Time, you can catch us on previous episodes on blogtalkradio.com and iTunes. DEMA Live is produced by the Domestic Estate Managers Association, a professional trade association intended to serve those who serve others. You can find our webcast at domesticmanagers.org or .com. If you're listening to the show live today on Blog Talk Radio website, you can log in and live chat comments with other listeners and submit questions to the Blog Talk live chat service. During the show, you can also text your questions to 313 404 3998. Once again that text number is 313-404-3998. Today we're going to be joined by my special co-host as always DJ Havercamp, a private service professional based out of New York. On today's show DJ and I are visiting with Dr. Chris sidford about and he's going to be talking about personal global emergency medical uh, services and different situations that he has run into over his uh, career. Dr. Siver is scheduled to be a presenter at this year's Regional Management Conference, which is being held on April 23rd at the World School in New York City. We'll be sharing more details about the conference later on in the show. But let's go ahead and begin the show. DJ, let me start by welcoming you. Anything uh, newsworthy on the private
1: service front this week? <clears throat> Hi, Matt. Great to join you again. One thing I wanted to share with you this week, I was talking to one of my colleagues who had actually listened to the show that we did last week with the Collectrium and got some great feedback from them. So I thought that was kind of exciting to hear that folks are here listening to the show and I appreciate your work in getting it all organized. So that's that's the news for this week.
0: Well that's that's good to hear. I mean it's always good to know that we're not just talking to empty space out there, right? So uh at least uh at least we're we're having a, a an impact and we're starting to gain a, a little bit of a following out there. So with that being said, let me go ahead and bring our guest uh, Dr. Chris Sidford uh into the discussion today. Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Matt. Good morning, DJ. Thank you very much for having me. Well,
0: yeah, we're excited to have you here on the show. Um Now, uh, Dr. Sinford is the owner of a company named Black Bag. Uh, Black Bag provides physician-directed care and advice concerning emergency treatment options, hospitalization, and evacuation services in the event of an individual or family, or if their families um, need uh, staff or medical assistance in the area without quality medical services. Um, I know that this topic is really important to a lot of our listeners and the principles that they are are working with. Um so perhaps you could start off by giving us a brief overview of the personal global emergency medical services industry if you could start there
2: Chris. Sure Matt, thank you. So What happened is many of our clients and many of the clients that uh, people on this call are are taking care of tend to be very international these days. They tend to travel for recreation. They have one or two or more homes. They tend to go to a number of different places each year. Or people with with their own companies and so on are traveling more often. Or there's now a new subset of philanthropic travel where people are looking to see the impact they have through donating dollars. And people are, are constantly on the go and they find that they outstretch the current medical support or their primary care physician where they are and they need someone or some group to look after them to give them advice or treatment or so on regardless of where they are and regardless of what time of day it is
0: and and so i'm i'm sure you know you've done not only work here in the united states but i'm i'm sure that the the business that you've done has also been uh with uh, international travel um, maybe you could share some of your insights regarding the status of the healthcare and healthcare facilities around the world.
2: Uh, that's a good question. So what I find most often is that uh, people who travel find out that the healthcare like at home tends to be inconsistent and it can be, it can be places where you think it should be really good. Sometimes it can be healthcare in major medical centers in the United States. Sometimes it can be treatment facilities throughout Europe and sometimes it can be small clinics in, in in developing nations, and there's there's really sometimes no way to predict where the really good care will be or communication, and communication raises another issue where many places you may be in a in a location of decent care, but you can't speak to any of the providers. We recently had a, a patient in, in the south of France, and during his entire hospitalization for two days never spoke the language, and they never had an opportunity to give him a translator. So he was really in the dark for most of his stay. And another problem we run into in international care is there's about a 30 to 50% counterfeit drug rate. So many of the times, even if they're in a, a decent facility with good advice, we're not sure about the reliability of the medications.
0: Well, those are all uh, extremely uh, good things to know, I'm assuming when you're traveling overseas right to be prepared for for situations like that um i mean i'm I'm sure that that person that was over there in the hospital for two days that wasn't part of the uh the itinerary correct
2: exactly, and he actually he raised another question that we run into is this is somebody who was who was part of a major teaching facility had some very complicated medical problems. And when he called back to his facility in the United States, they really are in no position to help him out, either his primary care or his his treating hospital. They basically said, we would love to see you as soon as you get back here. And he had a very serious presentation. He He really didn't get a very good workup, and he had no idea whether it was safe or how he could get back to the United States or what time that should happen. So that's where we stepped in is to try and evaluate the local facilities his condition and so on and give him some advice on on getting back to to proper care.
0: Yeah, and then they I mean that all makes perfect sense. And Usually I'm sure that the emergency medical field is probably something that is the last thing that's probably considered when a private service professional is scheduling um a travel itinerary and, and things like that. So, um is that kind of how you came about? the the uh, the the company black bag
2: well I've I've been in emergency medicine about 20 years I I started in the um, Boston City Hospital our our version of a knife and gun club in Boston Uh, I paid back a Navy scholarship uh, with jobs in places like San Diego emergency medicine program I helped open up an underground uh, nuclear chemical and biological proof hospital on the island of Sicily and I was sent on a number of different tasks in places like the Arctic Circle to look after the heads of state of NATO during uh, amphibious war exercises. So I got started in in a variety of of international uh, situations and and developing protocols and treatments for for unusual situations. I came back to the United States. I was on the teaching faculty at uh, Brown and Leahy Clinic. And then about 10 years ago, I got involved in the telemedicine business. And eight or nine years ago, we started Black Bag. So we could really have control of the of the uh, growing industry or our growing business. Okay,
0: excellent. Well, that's, I mean, obviously, you know, there, there's always niches. And, and to be able to discover the niche that you found, I'm sure, has been uh, an extremely exciting uh, time for you. And, and to be able to move forward with your own business is always uh it's always very challenging, let's put it that way. Um, so um, what I thought we might do today is something a little bit different. Um, you know, in talking with DJ, we wanted to kind of set up a a, a situation where we could get the most out of having someone like you and your experience on the show. So what we thought we would do is we'd like to go ahead and maybe set up a scenario where a global emergency medical services planning might come into play. Uh, so can you give us an example of a situation where an individual might need these services?
2: Sure. So there there are a variety of places. The travel scenario is the easiest to understand. So let's say, for example, a pretty common question we get is, is Mexico is a very common and, and uh, popular place to travel to. It's easy to get to. It's, you know, four or five hours for most people. And it, people t- tend to think that if they're going to a five-star resort that they're likely to have medical facilities in the area that are that are consistent with the United States. So when we get involved, we try and sort of break out the things that we can advise into. What do they do before they go? What do they do when they're there? And what happens if they get sick? So before they go, we want to try and evaluate, in this case, if it's a three-generation family, are there somebody with chronic medical conditions? What kind of interactions might they run into if they were on medications there? if they're going to be inconsistent or medications that we're not sure of, we're going to outfit them with a number of prescription medications just as a reliable backup. If someone's injured or someone's involved in sports while they're there, what are the facilities in the area that they could go to? Uh, If they are, if they're taken to a local facility and so on, we make arrangements to have a medical translation service in that language. We have access to about 140 different languages so that if there's an event, we know where they're going. We're going to try and speak to their treating team if something happens and give them advice on, on the various options. And if someone is, is injured or ill beyond the capabilities of the facilities in the area, we're going to make arrangements or advice on various evacuation insurance options or conduct or carry out an evacuation if that's necessary.
1: Well, that's really interesting, uh, Dr. Sidford. I guess I would be curious to know from a person working in private service just how if I were uh, trying to take care of my principal and, and I were uh, making travel arrangements or, or working with your company to schedule an event or something of a major kind of scenario that was happening at an international place, what kind of things would I be looking for from your company to help me kind of Think about as I was preparing for that event or preparing for that travel.
2: Well, it's a great question. There's a there's a number of things. We'd start with what's the medical condition of the of the person traveling. Is it somebody who's young and healthy and is concerned about where they might be more than their condition? Is it somebody who has an advanced illness that might present a problem um, or some sort of uh, change in their practice? So what we would do is get a collect a medical history that's the first thing is is there a good detailed history that if there's a medical event while they travel is there something that they can hand or we can send to a treating facility we'd advise you that depending upon where they are that they should probably see a travel medicine specialist Travel medicine docs are infectious disease doctors that say this person is headed to a developing nation or Africa, let's use an example, and say they may need malaria medications. We would find a, a travel medicine doctor in the area who could give you, uh, give them advice on which uh, anti-malarials and immunizations they should get. We should uh, put together a medical kit that would have over-the-counter medications. It would have um, basic wound care. You would have more advanced care. Uh, we'd actually put a, a small kit of backup IVs and needles in case they were uh, taken to a place of uh, unreliable medical care. And then we would be available during that trip in case there are any medical events that happened to give them advice on what they should take or where they should go.
0: Well, that sounds extremely uh, involved. And I know that one of the things that we uh, are always constantly trying to to strive for here at DEMA is being able to provide networks and resources uh, to our members that meet the high caliber and level of of service that they're looking for. How do you guys develop and maintain a network of resources that you can call on and for support on an international level?
2: Well, there's a number of different layers. Some of it depends upon where they're going. So there are a number of international organizations that will uh, verify the quality of hospitals or physicians in that area. Uh, so we'll start with places like the International uh, Joint Accreditation or JCO. So for example, if someone's traveling to Paris, the American Hospital of Paris is a great uh, choice, or the American Hospital of Istanbul are, are is another option if they were traveling to Turkey. So then we break it out into what are the other facilities in the area, where are they going to be traveling. Um, we use other networks that we either hire um, to either give us information on physicians and so on. And then, say, for example, if someone's traveling to a resort in the islands and so on, we may do background information. We'll contact uh, various uh, physicians to get an idea of their background. We'll contact the resorts that patients are staying at, see if they have what kind of medical background, whether they're people who have CPR training, whether someone has um, defibrillators, um, even even to the point as if someone is in a in a remote island what kind of airport availability do they have in case we have to conduct an evacuation
1: that's that's really amazing stuff that you're talking about there chris but i have a little side question i'd kind of like to ask do you does your agency as you're building out these networks get involved with like working with the state department and like embassies and that sort of thing
2: We do on occasion. We do a lot of work with international security companies. We don't do work with formal state agencies like the State Department at the moment. They tend to have their own organizations. We do work with embassies because that's another one of the great resources in terms of finding local physicians and so on to start our network. But we tend to work more with private individuals, and then we tend to work with uh, philanthropists that tend to be our most likely or most common uh, patients
0: hmm so let so so let me let me ask this question um you know as you know chris we're getting ready to have the conference coming up uh at the end of april um mike and i are going to be flying directly out on on that following sunday we're going to be flying overseas we have a london chapter meeting that we're going to be attending and then also a, a monaco chapter meeting and obviously we're going to be traveling overseas um, and Mike and I are thinking maybe we should have a private physician go along with us just in case now that we're having this discussion. Is that something that Black Bank might be able to arrange for us?
2: Well, given given where you're going, I, I know of one physician who would like to go with you. But
0: that's a good <laughs> question.
2: we run into um, large groups that, that may contract and say, you know, I'm hiring a private jet. I'm taking a dozen or two dozen friends. We're headed to a certain area. In general, what happens if there's a large group, there may be a benefit to taking a personal physician, a cruise or so on, or a personal trip. For the most part, most of our clients, one, they want to have the medical support of thinking someone is available, having the the capability, having prescription medications and so on. But most of them tend to sort of border on the independent side where they want that availability, but they don't want somebody who's following them around or traveling with them. So, Although, in in some ways, it can be a a good idea for a large group, for a small group, we we tend to get a pretty good impact from where we are. The other problem you run into is if you travel with someone, there are certain limitations to what you can practice when you go there, and there's also, if someone is, is taken to a facility and so on, you can give advice, and you can travel with them, but once they enter another facility, you're really traveling along almost as a guest member, and you have to be careful about stepping on toes, which unfortunately happens in the healthcare industry. So for the most part, the majority of our clients, a personal physician is not necessary. Now, if someone, say, has a, a advanced medical condition or disability, we may also recommend sending a nurse or an EMT, but it depends on the patient and the location.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Steven, I was reading on your website that your company puts together uh, like traveling medical kits for your clients, and that's the sort of thing that uh, someone working in private service would probably have to be keeping track of, if they, especially if they were traveling with their principal or their principal's family. Can Can you tell us the kinds of things that you would put in a medical kit like that, and and how that how that process works?
2: Sure, sure. That's a great question. So we put together a variety of things. What I'm trying to do is is put together the most amount of supplies in the smallest area, and we start with high-end simple bandages that people may use on a daily basis, and things like a a knuckle bandage is a good place to start. We also include things like Steri-strips, which is one of the things we train our patients to use. It's a very nice uh, go-to in case there's a, a small injury and we're trying to get someone to a facility in the meantime to, say, get stitches or so on. Um, we put together an over-the-counter kit so that over-the-counter medications, Tylenol, Advil, cold medications, and so on, we put a small kit together for that. And what I tend to tell people who are traveling is add to that anything that you tend to use or like. So people have their go-to headache medication, their go-to cold medication that they like, then add that to the kit. We put other things in there like uh, tweezers and uh, and scissors, We put extra bandages. We put some large bandages. We even include military-grade clotting supplies. So if there's really, say, someone's on a safari and there's a significant injury, they have some more advanced bandages to take with them. We include means of of sterilizing water supplies. It's one of the things um, people often don't think about is, even five star hotels sometimes have unreliable water sources so the two that we t- we tend to use are something called a SteriPen that can sterilize a bottle of water in about 40 seconds and the other is Sawyer bottles are are a very nice new product that you can use to drink uh water that you're not sure of the source uh and then the last thing which we mentioned before is we do put we do include needles and IVs uh, a small supply because if someone's going to really a a developing nation clinic, we're not sure of the medical supplies in the area. We want to make sure that someone's not going to pick up a disease from somebody who just used those that equipment.
1: Hmm, that's some great advice. That's that's really helpful. I, I know just traveling internationally can be challenging, and, and those are some great ideas. I, I did want to run a scenario by you uh It's spring break time here in New York, and I know that those of us who work in private service are always very concerned about the well-being of our principals and our principals' families. And I was just thinking about a scenario where perhaps our principal has college-age kids that might be on spring break and might be having some fun going to a spring break destination uh, but maybe they get in a little trouble and party a little bit to excess, or or have some kind of a medical issue as a result of recreational drug use, or that sort of thing. Is that the sort of thing that that your company could help with, or would would be willing to advise on, or even if like the paparazzi were involved, if it was a high visibility kind of person? G- give me your thoughts on that, if you would. Um,
2: that's a that's a good question. There's there's a couple different levels to that answer. Um, the first is we could absolutely advise them on the medical conditions that come up with alcohol or drug use and so on. Some of it has to do with with their history and what we're expecting that could, that could happen. So as you say, someone said to spring break, it's a pretty good likelihood that they'll be enjoying themselves. So some of it may be being aware of what's in the area. Some of it may be if someone's unreliable is who's a caregiver in the area that we can communicate with and find out the degree that they're they're truly ill, whether it's something as simple as rest and fluids can do, or whether it's something beyond that. For some of the issues that extend into, you know, whether paparazzi is involved and so on, we, we actually run into that scenario very commonly. And another area that, that, people unfortunately need to think about it when that's involved is, is just their general security. Not only is it is someone going to be aware or film or photograph what's happening to them, but in this state, an altered state, they, these these patients are also sometimes targets, and it can be targets for theft, it can be targets for kidnapping mm-hmm. and so on. So mm-hmm. one of the other things that we do in this is that we tend to get security teams involved, people like Chris Coleman at Red 5, who I, I know is, a, is a, one of the contributors at uh, DEMA, is that if if it's someone of that, um, either uh, publicity or, or someone who's known that well, then there are a number of things to take into account before this kind of event happens. Where are they going? What kind of social media are they using? Where are they staying? Because, unfortunately, there are there are people who are following these people before they go who have either ideas of either kidnap or ransom and so on or, or um, robbery. So mm-hmm. it's a great question, and there there's – some terrific answers. Chris is one of, is a great resource, and uh, and you know person to consider if, the, if this is a, a likely scenario.
0: Well, I think that that's extremely important that you're touching on on Chris over at Red Five uh, Security. Yeah. I know he's going to be part of our security council that we're setting up. I know that we've also approached you um, uh, to to be a part of that uh, that, can, that uh, council as well and um you know it was funny i we we were just talking about some of the stuff that was going on with um over in the attacks in brussels and um i think that this is a, a very important subject and topic uh for any of our private service professionals that are out there um so you know this is just great having you on the show and i think the information you're giving is is a huge benefit to anyone who's listening so with that being said Um, Real quickly, I just want to mention again that we're uh, here with Dr. Chris Sidford of Black Bag. He's going to be one of the speakers at this year's Regional Management Conference. The conference is an all-day event from 9 to 5 on April the 23rd at the Black Box Theater. Uh, We'll be having presentations on global emergency uh, medical management, art collection management, HR and payroll management, home automation, and wardrobe care and management. And obviously, you can register for that event at the uh, DEMA uh, website, which is uh, demaconvention.com. Click on the regional event, and you'll be able to find any information you need to uh, register for that. So uh, we're looking forward to having Chris there. Um, Chris, I know your company is involved with some charitable organizations around the world. Maybe you could take a moment and just tell our listeners about some of the uh, initiatives that you're currently involved with.
2: Oh, thank you, Matt. We've been fortunate enough to meet some terrific organizations and people who run them. Um, The three that we do a fair amount of work is one of them is uh, Room to Read. John Wood is the former um, Microsoft executive who started donating books to Nepal. And now, some 10 years down the road, they've built twelve or 13,000 libraries and schools around the world. And we support them in in terms of um, John traveling around the world. And trying to raise awareness for the causes uh, for the um, the great work that they've done. The other one that we that we do a lot of work with is um, Worldwide Orphanage and Jane Aronson. Jane is is called the Orphan Doc and lives in New York City. Has done a lot of work with uh, with adopted children and their medical needs, and has created and run a number of terrific or- orphanages around the world. And the last group is the World of Children Awards, awards which is really what we call the Nobel Peace Prize for uh, people who've done extraordinary work for children around the globe. Um, Harry and Kay Lebowitz are the founders, and they have a, an event every year and, and raise awareness and funds for people who have dedicated most of their lives to helping children.
1: Well, those, are some, those are some great causes, uh, Dr. Sitford. Well, one of the things that Matt and I have been – talking to a lot of our guests about in some of our previous discussions was the changing technologies that are happening in a lot of different industries. And I guess I was curious to know if you have any thoughts on basically technology developments that you see coming down the pipe maybe over the next five to 10 years that are relevant to global emergency medical services and the kinds of things that you're involved with.
2: Well, there are some interesting things and, and things that make it easier. I mean, just the, just the telecommunications to begin with have made it much easier to keep in contact with patients. There are some terrific uh, means of, of monitoring someone's blood pressure and pulse and the amount of oxygen in their blood. We put those in our kits. There are ways of checking out someone's EKG or what their rhythm strip looks from their cell phone. Um, there's some new technology that allows you to do what's called point-of-care testing so that you can do certain blood tests and so on wherever the patient is. These are all very nice um, things to put in and consider in terms of evaluating patients that you can't see in front of you. Uh, the other side of that is we, we have to be a little bit careful uh, with how this technology affects the patients. It's evolved so much now that they're even many intensive care units that people can put in their in their private homes and so on. But one of the things we find is that too much technology on occasion can be can be overwhelming. So for example, even a blood pressure yeah. cuff at home. Yeah. I can't tell you the number of patients I've seen who've had abnormal readings, but they're really not that dangerous, but people are so concerned and it's, that that it's actually had almost a harmful effect. So there's a lot of really good technology that's being developed, but one of the things that has to sort of go with it is is a degree of intelligence or advice, and how to use it smartly without being overwhelmed by it.
0: Well, I know, I know. I I, I think uh, I think we've all probably dealt with the. Uh with the uh analysis self uh analysis of 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 uh different symptoms that we're uh that we're dealing with whether it's uh going on the web m d and you know figuring out exactly what my diagnosis is i think uh, I've had a couple of really bad bouts of uh different uh situations in the past so <laughs> but but they were nothing more than a mere cold so that that's the that's the good sign of things um in our discussion before the show, Chris you were telling us a little bit about. Um some of the other services that Black Bag is providing. Uh can you touch on a couple of those things real quickly?
2: Sure, sure. We we do a number of different things. Sometimes we'll actually go to someone's home if they have a um, an isolated uh resort or ranch or if someone has a, a large home and so on, we may go and visit and do a an evaluation of the various uh safety issues they have in the house. We may go and, and conduct CPR and first aid training for the entire staff. In some places, we've even gone lo- and evaluated local medical facilities, say in the Caribbean. We'll, we'll go to the local hospitals and get a sense of what capi- capabilities they have. Um, the other thing we do a lot of advising is, is certain degrees of elder care and second opinion. One of the one of the challenges a lot of us are having in, in the current health care is, is how do we – communicate with our physicians, how do we evaluate when we, we think we have good advice or when we don't, and if, we, if we're getting a second opinion, where do we start? And, and a lot of that has to do with trying to tease through the, the current condition and sort out what they think is really at hand and, and where we can find a, a decent opinion or, or give them advice about that. So a lot of what we do is, is really trying to get people more information and, and explore their options. That's
1: that's great, Chris. I, I was wondering. Tell tell us a little bit more about elder care and working with older individuals. What some of your insights or thoughts are with regard to that over the
2: years? Well, we're we're all looking at means of of looking after independent parents. I think, and and what we find is that that people in in elder care issues are evolving in their needs and evolving in their independence. And it's a very tricky situation for usually, in, in most of my experiences, fiercely independent patients. So there are some terrific resources that we use to do evaluations on, on home safety, home medications, home resources, and so on. And you can start with those as just a baseline. And sometimes when you get a secondary group or like us or uh, another group involved, is you can get... An opinion from someone that isn't a family member, because lots of times these are rather tense uh, negotiations, almost if you will, when someone when there's a disagreement on on what kind of level of care, because that's usually a, a factor in, in almost all these evaluations. And then we use resources to find out if there are needs that we can perceive, whether it's whether it's assist, mild assisting nursing care to, to full time nursing and so on, or even moving on to facilities um, to full time facilities. Clients are always looking for advice on, on what are reliable services all the way along that, and we we work with some terrific organizations to try and uh, give them uh, their options. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, That's a great idea.
2: I guess I have another question with regard to
1: just some of the kinds of things that you have to deal with. I know during the course of the show and our discussion so far, we've touched on a lot of different scenarios. But I would be curious to know if you could maybe share with us the like kind of a breakdown of what categories you feel like you have to deal with most, whether they're uh physical sprains and falls and cuts, or if they're infectious diseases or allergic reactions or heart attacks can you can you give us some insights as to which of these kinds of things is most prevalent as far as emergency medical conditions that you have to deal with
2: well you actually interestingly, you hit about an even distribution of a third of each, so there tend to be most common events that happen when people travel tend to be trauma involved a slip and a fall, a twist, an ankle sprain, uh, Mm -hmm. all the way up to minor vehicle accidents or even more severe. That tends to be the sort of number one injury while people travel. And then Mm -hmm. in terms of the medical, what happens is you you run into two different conditions. There's people who have a worsening of a known medical condition. Their breathing condition got worse. Their diabetes got worse and so on. Um, And then a complication of that happened while they were traveling. And then the third area we run into is that uh, infectious diseases that tend to present towards the end of their travel or when they get back. I mean, traveler's diarrhea is a very common scenario, but there are the, the fever and the rash and the so on that come up towards the end of the trip or when they come back. And that's really sort of an equal distribution in terms of the three most common things we see. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I know a lot of our principles, I would guess, are probably involved with, Uh, skiing sports, and I know that there's certainly a lot of folks who like to ski internationally. Uh, Do you find that skiing presents a particularly dangerous or or hazardous kind of scenario?
2: Well, there's, I mean, skiing, it it depends where they are. We've gotten certainly a lot better in terms of people who wear helmets and they're going to um, resorts that are well-controlled. When they get into Europe, the, the one thing we do notice is that they don't have the same protective um, desire from the from the resort. So, for example, in the United States, there's always protection in terms of out of bounds and, and where you're skiing near a cliff. When you're in when you're in, say for example, Europe, that's not the case. They consider you to ski at your own risk. So we do find a slightly different in terms of how severe it could be. I'd say in terms of the the injuries that are the most unexpected, it, it actually turns out to be not not injuries like skiing, it tends to be more things like parasailing and so on in in warm resorts. So someone Mm -hmm. goes to a a place in Mexico and says, that Mm -hmm. looks like fun, let's get in behind this speedboat and and they're really doing something they've never done, they're not particularly in shape for or so on, or they they jump Mm -hmm. on a a jet ski. Those tend to be the more common problems that we Mm -hmm. run into than say a a worsening of of a condition somebody ever uses or a sport.
0: All right, so now let's see. We've we, we've now just lost our involvement with uh ski resorts, um jet ski and parascaling. <laughs> so um no, 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 you know what? It's always safety first. So I think that that's the main thing to uh, to, to stay focused on. Now, real quickly, we've got about nine minutes left. We're uh, we're uh doing a Dema Live today with Dr. Chris Sinford of Black Bag. Um Chris, real quickly one of the things obviously we're talking about situations that occur how how do you evacuate someone out of out of a specific uh uh region once that injury has occurred
2: um uh, It's a great question there there it It starts with um uh, understanding what condition they have um uh, and what are the local facilities. So, for example, one of the one of the scenarios we were aware of is that someone who had had fallen in New Zealand and had a a, a broken hip, and there was a, a a dramatic effort by the family office to find evacuation sure, uh, services for an elderly woman with this injury and get her back to the United States. So, in that case, um, we found out number one, she she was in had some medical conditions. She was actually in a place of great care, and had a, a, an injury that could be easily handled there. So in in that scenario, it's one where we find out that really where they are is a good place to stay. So that's where we start with. If an evacuation is necessary, um, there's a couple things that that can make that easier for for your clients and so on and ours, is that evacuation insurance is an option where they can pay a small fee, usually runs about $4 a day, and they can pay for, uh, have the cost of an evacuation covered, And there's a lot of details in in the process in terms of pre existing conditions and whether it was sports or alcohol related. But it means that if an evacuation is necessary, there's a company that will will make arrangements and look into that evacuation. What we try and figure out is what's the condition, where's the next best place for, for that condition to be treated, and what are the means of getting it. So we may we may contact an evacuation uh, an air ambulance company to carry it out. For example, there was a, a patient who had a, a heart attack in Aruba a few years ago, and we were contacted to to help make an evacuation. Because what happens is when there's a serious medical condition, you can't get on a commercial jet. You're not medically cleared. So in this case, they were, in a sense, stuck on the island until they were medically cleared, even though the treating uh, cardiologist had said you need a a cardiac catheterization, you need a heart procedure. So in that case, we were actually fortunate enough to arrange an air ambulance, a physician and a nurse, uh, pick the patient up later that afternoon, and they were actually in Cleveland Clinic in Fort Lauderdale by the end of the day. And there are a lot of details in how and where that happens, some of which is, you know, understanding the problem, and communicating with the patient and their family that even though you're from Boston, you want to go back to a great teaching hospital in Boston, this is a this is a risky evacuation that makes sense to go to the nearest treating facility. So there's a lot of variables in it, but it, it, it starts with what's the problem and where's the next best appropriate treating facility.
0: You know, I think this is such a this is such a powerful topic, and I, I guess I even myself didn't realize how much information is really involved in, uh, you know, in the emergency medical field. So, Chris, I, I want to thank you obviously for being on the show, and and, and I'm really excited to have you uh, coming to the conference uh, at the end of the uh, in, at the end of April. So, we're definitely excited about that. I know. DJ what what are your thoughts so far you know from a private service professional uh perspective you know do you, what what are you thinking about right now
1: well I, I think that this is one of those areas that sometimes gets overlooked and that's the thing that i really love about our discussion today is that uh, one of the things that makes for a good private service professional is somebody who has the foresight to anticipate those kinds of problems that may happen down the road for your principal or their family before they happen. And I think that that's the thing that, that Dr. Sidford and especially the service and even the, just having this discussion really helps us to sort of spend some time thinking about that that aspect of these things and just planning ahead for the potential scenarios that could come up. I did want to ask a quick question yeah, before we go. I know we've got a couple minutes left. The uh the Summer Olympics are coming up this summer down in Brazil and I know there's been a lot of talk in the news about uh, Zika virus. And so I guess Dr. Sidford, I'd be curious to know if if our principals or or one of our agents was interested or is considering a trip to Brazil for the Olympics this summer, what kind of advice might we give them or what should we be thinking about in that in that particular case?
2: Uh that's a great question. Um a lot of people are concerned and rightfully so about the zika virus um there's there's conflicting re- um reports about how pervasive it is and how serious it is to certain patients, what we know right now, and we've we've been asked a number of times by uh, clients already, is if if you have a, a young woman who is either pregnant or is considering becoming pregnant, it's pretty clear that they should not travel to an area that has they could be exposed to Zika virus. That is is really clear cut. What's not clear is what about the rest of us who may be interested in going? If we're infected while we travel, could we transmit that? when we get back home to other people, including pregnant patients in our area. As you may know, the Zika virus is associated with really severe um, uh, congenital birth defects that are are near catastrophic. So it's quite serious and it's it's a clear cut advice. If you're considering pregnant or if you could be, don't travel to that area. But the other thing to keep the other side of that for those of us who who it might be safe to travel that area is there's a lot of other things that are very common, uh, like dengue fever, like malaria and so on, depending upon where in South America you're going. And those are all things that need to be considered, like insect precaution and so on, um, with almost any trip to an area like that. And that's some of the things that we, we get into in terms of advising before patients travel and so on.
0: That's awesome. So uh when Mike and I get ready to uh head overseas, how are we going to get in contact with you Chris over at Blackbag?
2: Well, our website is uh emergencyblackbag.com and uh I'm I'll be sharing our information I think on the DEMA website in terms of contacting us and uh and I look forward to anyone who's listening if they're, you know if we've triggered questions in you in terms of the people you're looking after and and so on. Our office number is uh 978 978- 518-3203, and I'd be happy to help people sort out the various options we, we've we raised today.
0: Absolutely, and I'm sure that we have definitely uh, struck a nerve on several different topics uh, as it pertains to emergency medical uh, uh, situations in the private service industry. So we really appreciate having you on the show today, Dr. Sidberg. Um You know, that's going to do it for this edition of DEMA Live. Obviously, we'd like to thank our host, uh, our, our, our um, Our our, our guest today, Dr. Chris Sinford, as well as all the listeners that are uh, listening to the show. Uh, Chris, we look forward to seeing you in New York next month. DJ, as always, I'd like to uh, thank you for joining me today. If you have any further questions regarding how you can become more involved in your local chapter of DEMA, or if you have questions about the private service industry, please feel free to send those questions to info at domesticmanagers.com. We're excited to announce that we will be back on the air next Wednesday, March the 30th, when we'll be joined by newborn care specialist Tanya Sakowitz. This event will be held, as always, at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. As always, I've been your host, Matthew Hack, and I look forward to hearing and listening to all of you next week.